Welcome to the Word and Journey podcast, conversations with friends about stories that shape us and make us think, and some stories that are just for fun. We're busy people reading books in realistic increments. Follow along in the book and join in the conversation, or just sit back and enjoy. Our aim is to unpack the story and offer you things to ponder. Either way, thanks for being here. Welcome back, everybody, to the Word and Journey podcast. Conversations early in the morning with friends about stories that shape us and make us think. And I'm here again with Eric Shane Love. Uh, hello, Eric. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm enjoying the day we're recording is a day in early June. It is bright and sunny outside, promises to be hot. So that makes me excited. Nice. Yeah, it's hot and humid outside here, so. Yes. Yes, indeed. What has been going on in your writer life and in your life, and how are you these days? Well, in my writing life, I am trying to navigate marketing for my books, which is, there's a significant learning curve there for me, which I have not yet mastered, so I'm still trying to to learn. I, I, of course, have to balance that with my full-time position now. I, I had a bit more flexibility with my time, my schedule back when I was working for myself. Now that I'm working for someone else, I have a bit more of a rigid structure. She's very flexible, but still, you know, so I'm trying to balance that with learning something new, learning how to market my books. Um, I'm also in the process of we're pulling a, an anthology of short stories and kind of supplemental material together from, from, from my series that I want to launch at the end of the summer. And then the third book in the series by the end of the year around Christmas. Um, and that I've probably given different dates or time goals for that in past podcasts because it keeps changing. So I'm, it's, it's like I'm, I'm trying to learn to market and market at the same time. I'm I'm working on a collection of short stories, which some of those short stories already exist, and some of them have to be written. And I am in the process of editing my 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 third book. And I what I'm desperate to do is start writing the fourth one because I've I've done this story. I want to move on. I want to keep going. So I'm there are several layers there, and finding the time to get to everything especially the learning part. Like I've gotten a pretty good routine with, with editing and writing, spending a, a certain amount of time every morning working on my books. Also, I'm also recording audiobooks of the first two. So that there's a lot. I'm, there's a lot going on. Um, and I can get most of that done, but the marketing thing is, it's not my thing. I don't, it, 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 it's, it's a process. It's going to take some time. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so much. I'm really excited that you're doing audiobooks. I That would be, I think, an enjoyable experience listening to you read your book. And uh, I mean, that, that's something I'm thinking about doing too. But it's it's a, it's a challenge for, for us artistic creative types to now have to do like business and promotion. And that's uh, it's a puzzling, puzzling thing for, for me as well. Yeah. And I'm, I'm fortunate because I worked, I was a videographer and a photographer, a graphic designer for a very long time. So something like recording an audiobook 
I've essentially done. I've I've recorded voiceovers and you know captured audio for video projects, things like um, I didn't format my own books. I actually hired a friend of mine to do it. But there's a lot of things when it comes to marketing, like creating. I I shot footage for a teaser video that I'm hoping to release when I do the audiobooks. I shot that. I I'm, I I can do those things. So I have a set of skills that your typical um, writer wouldn't have, you know, so I'm very fortunate with that, but I have no, even though I used to create marketing content, I never marketed for my clients. I only created the content that they would market. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm definitely grateful for the, what skill sets I can bring as an author. Like I can build my own website, you know, my, own, my, my author platform, those kinds of things I can do. The marketing, man. Yeah, indeed. I admire you for for plunging ahead, and I'm thankful you're doing it before I do. So yeah, I will share which, everything I know. I know. I'm so excited for that resource, and I'm I'm getting close to being ready. I have I'm almost done with a short story. What's well, technically a little novella, and it will shortly be moving on from there. And I I, I have that experience too of of I'm I'm almost done. Although I think I've gotten done with like my first novel, like as much as I can stand to do, and unless like an editor were to pick it up and say do something to it, because I just I mean I love it, but I, I want to get to book two and then book three and then this whole other story because there's just there's these stories they live in us they got to come out. I did. Uh, I saw this meme the other day because you know all good funny things come from memes these days, right? right. But it was something. It was something to the effect of. Uh, yes, I will pay $15 for a book and not think twice because that author probably spent five years looking at the screen shouting, I'm a fraud or something like that. (laughs) And I'm thinking like, you know, even if that's not quite exactly what you're shouting, something like, I don't know what to do with this once I have it is maybe more like it. So my, I think my question is what, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And then I, when I actually get to write, I'm like, well, this is why I do it. But it's all the other stuff. Oh my gosh! It's uh-huh. yeah, so. yeah. Definitely been having those those uh, thoughts recently. Yeah, yeah. It's an endurance thing. It's uh, like like the whole process of writing a book. I mean, there. I mean, it's you think it's about what am I going to write and like do I have a story? And then you think it's about do I have the skill? But then like a lot of it is like, do you have like the fortitude and the endurance to just like persist at it until it's all done and uh and it, it almost feels like that that's the hardest part uh especially as we get older and have more life that's just not built around writing because yeah we, we can't all be brandon sanderson right yeah and another thing that i didn't expect but when i published the first two books in my series i felt actual fear over whether i i did the story and the characters justice like, did I give them what they deserved? And I'm like, what? What? Where is this coming from? Like, it was, it just came out of nowhere because I was so confident with what I was doing and the story I was telling. And I loved it and loved these characters. Love, 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 loved these characters so much. And it was like I was about to hit the publish button. And I was like, is this it? Is this, this is it? I mean, it is it. I mean, it was just crazy out of nowhere kind of whiplash, mental whiplash for me. Yeah, I, I I can believe it. 
I mean, I'm I'm thinking. I mean, yeah, I'm thinking about like the characters that I want to bring out, and they're they're awesome. They're amazing. Their their stories are super cool and complex. And I'm thinking like, I really hope, and I have what it takes to like make them as cool in real life. Which is interesting. I don't just interesting. I mean, you're talking about um, a fear of letting the characters down, different than misrepresenting like your own self. Which I you know. I'm just. I I, would, I think I would resonate with that a lot too. Like I'm reasonably like comfortable with myself as a person. Mm-hmm. I just want people to love these stories. Yeah, yeah. And there's definitely there's definitely that that layer of how are people going to relate to me once they read my books like when i once these things are out there they're out there i i'm especially with this being my first set of books that i'm i'm publishing certainly it's not gonna be the only series i work on but i will kind of forever be judged based on this first outing or at least until i get past you know it, assuming that i i write enough that i ever get past being known primarily for the first thing I produce. Right. You'll be, you'll be judged by your first book until you have a most famous book that's different. Right. 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 Yeah. No, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Like, anyway, I'm just, I'm thinking of other authors of like, I mean, did Jack Palahniuk really write anything outside of Fight Club? I mean, he did obviously, but like, you know, (laughs) that, that sort of thing, Um, which I really love that story too. Cool. I'm really excited. So that's Scarecrow Hunters. And what's the second one again? A Greedy Shadow. A Greedy Shadow. A Greedy Shadow and The Singing Bones will be coming out by the end of this year. Cool. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yes. Shadowy, bony fingers <laughs> crossed. <laughs> okay. Yes. That's so cool. Uh, I'm excited for that. All right. Well, uh i'm also excited uh we've finally finished a boy's life i think when this when this comes out it'll be like uh all like the just this month series although i think it's been like almost a year of <laughs> reading, reading through this which i don't know it's, it's been good it's been good to let it uh percolate and sit in and some, sometimes reading a story in smaller doses you absorb it a little bit more Kind of. I mean, there, there's the, the wonderful experience of staying up all night and reading a book uh, and like getting the whole thing all at once. Kind of like binging a show. But uh, I don't know. I, I, um, and maybe this is more like an older or middle-aged man's perspective. But um, small doses, I can think about it. I can I can retain my sleep. And yes. yes. Story. Yeah, I like it. I actually enjoy reading in smaller chunks i mean i i i don't remember the last time i sat down and read a book cover to cover in like three days it's been a while because my schedule is just not conducive to that so i Mm. tend to read slower and absorb more over time anyway i listen to tons of audiobooks which i listen to you know in my car and i drive an hour to and from work four days a week so i have plenty of time to listen but if i'm reading a book holding a book in my hands it's it's going to take me a while yeah, I was uh, me and some other friends. We were doing a few episodes on like the Wheel of Time show compared to the books. And one of my co-hosts was talking about when he was a kid, like middle school, high school, uh, like reading through a whole Wheel of Time book over a weekend. And I think I remember picking up a couple of books of the Sword of Truth series way back in the day, and having a couple of very long days 
uh, of that. But uh, but I think it took me more than one weekend. So I don't know that 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 kind of pace uh, is just amazing to me. And uh, and especially if there's also retention there too. It just my little brain don't do that. No, but, mine doesn't either. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick us off with a quote. So so this is a book by Robert McCammon. Okay. Hopefully there's not also Robert McCannon in the quote I have has a typo, but anyway, so, but this, this was fun. So I'm taking as a, as a counselor, I'm taking this training in internal family systems and uh, it's all about getting to know like your inner parts, your inner children and cultivating a lot of uh, interconnectedness, inter-awareness, uh, compassion within yourself for yourself and um, holding a healing conversation within your own head. In my last training, I, I'm forgetting the context now, but they quoted Robert McCammon. And I was thinking, oh, he wrote this book that I'm reading and talking about. So I'm going to read the quote because it was kind of a quote. It was kind of a cool quote, a quote that was cool. We all start out knowing magic. We are born with whirlwinds, forest fires, and comets inside us. We are born able to sing to birds and read the clouds and see our destiny in grains of sand. But then we get the magic educated right out of our souls. We get it preached out, spanked out, washed out, and combed out. We get put on the straight and narrow and told to be responsible, told to act our age, told to grow up. And you know why we were told that? Because the people doing the telling were afraid of our wildness and youth, and because the magic we knew made them ashamed and sad of what they'd allowed to wither in themselves. Okay, that's definitely Robert McCowan, because <laughs> that's like everything he's talking about in yeah. Corey's life. That's, I love that. That is awesome. Yeah. It sounds familiar. I wonder if I've read the book that it came from. I've read a few of his books. Anyway, it's fantastic. I love it. Yeah. I, out of all the people I know, it would have been you that I'd have read it somewhere else. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I really like that, too. And it, um, I mean, I'm remembering more of the context now. A lot of, uh, like, like in uh, the IFS world, we talk a lot about connecting to what we call the exiles. It's like these like tender vulnerable, but often very joyous, very creative, very beautiful, just free and powerful parts of ourselves that like, for whatever reason, are not, are not welcome in, in outer life or in family life or whatever. So, uh, so reconnecting to like the, the artistry, the creativity, just like the free spontaneity of, of childhood is, is a major theme in this particular counseling framework. So I think that's where that comes from. Which now that I'm thinking about it, it makes me appreciate something like a boy's life uh, so much more because it is very much. I know some one of my one of my critiques or bewilderments over it has been this sense of like, hey, it's just like kind of this like meandering. There's not really a plot, a uh, lot just like short story feel to it. But as I'm thinking about it, you know, it's we're being inducted into this boy's life, this young boy's life, his adventures, his misadventures, and just getting to be free and fun with him. And yeah, I could see what now there, there's something kind of therapeutic about setting aside adult responsibility, setting aside logic, you know, even setting aside like this part of us that needs like a linear timeline to just say, Hey, let's just, let's just have some meandering fun mm -hmm. and just enjoy it for 500 pages. Yeah. That's interesting, too, because I haven't really thought of it that way in terms of, like, just strictly speaking of plot, like, what is driving 
Corey and these characters from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. But really, it's it's less plot driven and more just kind of these are the circumstances in his life and and new things keep popping up, new challenges, new stories that we're going to want closure on, you know, by the end. But I mean, obviously you have the mystery of that begins the story, this, this body at the end of Saxon's Lake, but there are so many other things that are added on top of that, that we keep wanting or I, as the reader, want to know, all right, so where does this tie in? What does this have to do with? And I do think that, um, and now that we've finished the book, I think that we'll obviously talk about this. I, I loved the way he kind of finishes up everything, but it, it does, I've never really thought about it in terms of, it doesn't feel like he's trying to necessarily tie off all the loose ends. He's just finishing the story of this season of this boy's life. These are the things that happened during this season, but it's more about the boy than it is the the actual stuff going on. Yeah, less about here's Corey's accomplishments or or even his skills, and more about here's here's his character, here's his essence, and which tends to tends to be a really healing experience for a person when uh you know in adulthood we we face up to hey here's this drive i feel to produce to perform to meet expectations or else i'm going to be worthless and rejected and all of these all of these things um and it is often very healing for these people to connect to a really younger part of themselves and just say like hey you can just be like you don't need i, I love you just as you are you're welcome here you don't need to do anything what would you like to do yeah, and it's kind of fun to see that kind of depicted in a story. And it's like Corey, out of the love in his heart, wants to help his dad. He wants to be with his friends. He wants to save his town. He wants to go on these adventures. Nobody's making him doing it. He's not getting paid for anything. And through that, I mean, and then he becomes, I don't know, kind of in the way that, I mean, it's kind of this classic Harry Potter boy hero sort of thing where it's like, you know, he wins by being the most loving. Or the most gentle, uh-huh. and that's, that uh-huh. ends up being his like actual superpower. Yeah, so, yeah, which is cool. Um, it's a good story. So briefly, so so recounting. So so like we said, so within this collection of short stories motif, there is some bit of a plot, and in these last couple of sections, it's mostly mostly section four. Section five is really just a an, an epilogue. In the first chapter of this last section, I'll briefly narrate. Uh, so Corey's dad hits a, it's a kind of his dark night of the soul where he he loses his job. That's been a thread this building. And there's this really sweet moment with him and Corey at Saxon Lake. And Corey's uh, providing emotional support, which I know my, my counselor brain's like, ah, that's mixed up. But like, you know, I mean, family, I mean, we do things for each other. And so it's okay. There is this interesting contrast between Corey and his dad, where Corey's dad is someone who is kind of classically like threatened by progress, like like the new supermarket is putting like the milkman out of business sort of dynamic, compared to Corey, who seems to more flexibly go back and forth between like, hey, I like these traditions, but I like some of these new things that are coming up. So that's an interesting thing. Uh, there begins to be a lot more details around the mystery. Uh, like it has to do with, there's like this 
parrot that curses in German. And then the parrot belonged to the piano teaching sister. But then the other sister had another parrot of a different color. And then like one of the sisters like cheated on the other one or something, or was one of the sisters like stole the other one's boyfriend or something. And anyway, so there's that level of like granular, like mystery drama that that's kind of woven through all this. And I'm not going to recount all those details, but it was interesting. What I did not see coming was the whole and the story of Davy Ray. And he dies. I mean, there's some really, really beautiful, written, beautifully written moments around that. And actually kind of, I don't, I guess we can talk about story plot. But anyway, so Davy Ray, Davy Ray dies. He, he has a hunting accident and makes it back to see Corey one last time. And then he dies. And then there's some really interesting conversations around faith and grief and everything. And Corey ends up having a conversation with the reverend who's telling him like, you, you've just got to have faith. And Corey's like, well, why? And the reverend's only answer is like, because we must have faith. Would you like another candy? And so we, we, we could talk a bit about theology there. There's a, so Corey then goes through his grief process, which means he gets really angry and he takes it out on this teacher who's been bullying him and he gets suspended for that. Uh, and then later gets vindicated. But in the meantime, there's this, there's this drama as he's just, you know, angry and hurting over his friend's death. And like, nobody's really listening to him when, and again, my counselor Ben's just like, Oh my gosh, the burdens, the drama, the trauma. Anyway, there's a chapter where Corey goes in the middle of the night to visit his friend's gravesite and then goes on a train ride. And that's a really fun chapter. I thought uh, he, the chapter starts off with him getting on this train with these like grotesque circus characters who are really friendly and take him under the wing. And as he's running away into the big city, he starts encountering just like all of like, like the darkest, most debauchery things of <laughs> inner city life. And it's really life threatening to him and really overwhelming and terrifying. And then he wakes up next to the grave because he fell asleep and it was all a dream. And I was almost sad that it was actually that it was a dream and not real because it felt like a really, I don't know, just a really fascinating direction to take the story. But but it was a dream. Other what I was I was at the moment next chapter I was very, very excited about Corey's dad finally goes to see the lady. They start making peace, reconciling, she helps him. And then the fun twist is all of this time Corey's dad in his trauma experience, he's been dreaming about the guy who died in Saxon Lake and uh hearing him say like come down in the dark with me and and then he finds out that the lady has been having the same dream and so they're both getting messages from this person uh which was a fun twist fun invocation of whatever supernatural things are going on here and Corey's dad gets a lead on the murder and starts to follow that up and then uh and then the next chapter i think that's the last action chapter it's like like the, the climax of it where they discover Okay, so spoilers, 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 spoilers. <laughs> so they discover, they figure out who the murderer is, and and there's this whole chase scene where the murderer gets hold of Corey, and then Corey's dad has to chase him, and they end up all back at the lake in a car, drowning, and people have to be saved. It's a very satisfying ending in all of that, uh, and a really emotional journey to get there, and I definitely teared up a whole bunch as <laughs> all of this was happening uh and then and then there's the epilogue and Corey comes back to town 
I guess, okay, spoiler. So Koya lives. <laughs> he lives to have a wife and a couple of kids and come back to town and have memories. So that's the book. Yeah. And I, the, the funny thing to me is, is when I'm reading the book, when I was reading the book, the, I found the ending very satisfying, very, it, it was it was a great end. It was a great close. I felt like everything was kind of m- m- all or most of my questions were answered, and I was not left feeling bereft of something that I needed from the story. Even the epilogue didn't feel forced. I, I actually enjoyed revisiting, you know, the town with an older Corey with his family because um, that can feel kind of. Like too much. Like I remember when I read the last Harry Potter book, or maybe it was when I watched the movies. It's been so long ago. But that little coda at the end, where we see Harry and Hermione and Ron and all they're grown and they have kids, I I always felt like that was a little too much, maybe like unnecessary. But in this case, I liked it. But if I if I if I take a step back, again, the plot of this story is pretty basic, even in the sense of we end up at the end at the same place where we started at Saxon's Lake. I mean, it's a different set of circumstances, but it, it, they, they kind of parallel each other. They, they mirror each other. That just seems like, almost, I don't know how, how to say it. It feels like on the surface, as a concept, that would be a bad idea. Like, yeah, that's too much. That's too on the nose. But the execution of it, works really well, I think, because it's not about what's happening as much in in Corey's world as what's happening inside Corey. That's the important stuff. Even the that that chapter where he hops a train basically ends up on in this boxcar with with you know creatures from his you know his love of horror because that's essentially what we've we're doing is we're we're meeting characters from his imagination being interpreted from all these horror movies and and magazines and things um, into dream people. But I don't know. I just, it's like when I try to describe, when people ask me what I'm writing about, like what my series is about, I don't, I almost don't even want to answer the question because it's virtually impossible to describe a fantasy novel without it sounding completely ridiculous. Or at least that's how I feel. But when done right, when done well, you know, it, it's it kind of transcends the tropes that m- make up the story. And so when if you just lay it out, A Boy's Life, you lay this out, you know, just based on the, the tropes of the type of story he's telling, it sounds kind of silly. But I love the execution, and it definitely has so much emotive power. I mean, it moves me in multiple ways on multiple levels. Many are surprising to me. I didn't, I didn't see coming, and some I did. Some I knew would would come, and when they came, they would there would be like a gut punch with it. But one of the reasons why I, this is one of my favorite books is because it surprised me. And even when I went back and read it a second time for the podcast, it surprised me again. Like I, I'd forgotten so because there's so much texture. Yeah. So I, I, but I, I did. I definitely felt very satisfied at the end. I am kind of partial to this kind of story, though. So mm-hmm. take take that for what it is. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I mean, every story is written for a certain group of people, and 
uh, when that's just a dynamic us writers have to have to remember is to you know, not try to write in every in every person's story, but you know you write a particular story that's kind of kind of geared for like a particular kind of person, and, and you just write that really well. Yeah, there there was something really satisfying around this one. Uh, I'm 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 thinking now about endings and posing this question like, when does one need an epilogue versus just a last chapter? And you're right with with a boy's life, there is a there is this inclusio going on of people drowning, cars sinking in, in Saxons Lake, and that, that that's a really neat and tidy like beginning and end point. I think I'm thinking about the Harry Potter phenomenon. Also, I don't. I don't remember my experience of reading the end of Deathly Hallows, but I'm remembering like the movie and yeah. And maybe, maybe it feels a little weirder in a story like Harry Potter because it's so, so plot driven and first versus like uh, a boy's life is much more character driven. And so, and so, and so the, the epilogue also is more about just like, Hey, you want to know what happened to these characters? Cause they're, they're, they're going in some direction. Here's where they go. Whereas with, like, like the Harry Potter plot, like that story concluded very, very nicely. Yeah. And it seemed like to, to reopen that would be to be like creating a whole new, a whole new story that that's with this very, you know, un, unconnected one. I mean, same story world, but whereas I know with, with a boy's life, it could almost feels like, oh yeah. So we're dropping into all of these same people that are still active and doing the things that they're doing. They're just like all over the place now. Hmm. I'll have to think about that. I don't know. What What are your thoughts? Like, uh, what do you, when would an epilogue be called for versus just like a last chapter? That's a good question because I'm on, I'm editing book three of what will probably be a seven book series. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, my series is going to be plus four anthologies. So clearly I'm a planner. And I have outlines through the end of the series, but I don't know precisely the, I don't know the details of the ending. I just know basically where we're going to end up and then I'll have to figure out how and what happens when I get there. But one of the things that I've already been, I've already started asking myself is, do I end with the climax of this story or do I add some, something after that to show where my, my surviving characters are and how they're getting along because I know often when I finish a book, especially a series and, and most, especially if I love these characters, I, I want to, to kind of have a glimpse of how they are, how they survive, how they deal with the aftermath. But in this, in my sense, in my case, most of the series is about the aftermath of what happens in the first book there's so do i need to add another like i mean the entire series is almost like an epilogue to the first book as crazy as that sounds but to me i think it's very easy to to for an author to add an epilogue at the end that like jumps ahead into the future whether it's distantly in the future or just a few weeks days whatever um and it can serve as a real you know period at the end of this statement, whatever, and, and brings a sense of finality, or it, it can be a question mark and open that thing up to a whole new world. And I think that if you choose one or the other, and you have a specific reason why you're doing it as a writer, 
that's acceptable. I think when I have a problem with it is that it, it, there's no need for a, a, another question or another statement, if that makes sense. Um, so how do I know when it is appropriate or when it isn't? <laughs> I have no idea. That's a good question. Like, um, and it, and it's one that I'm already thinking about. Like, um, even this this weekend, I rewrote the introduction for the third book, which the book, the first manuscript, has been written since 2018. So, I'm re I rewrote a brand new introduction because I felt like I needed something um, that it, that wasn't there. So. The question I kept asking myself is, is, what is the point? Why am I doing this? Like, it's got to be more than just, I want a, a really catchy opening or, because I had that. It's it's more than, you know, I need something to really um, get my readers invested in the story. I had that. But there were other things that were missing. So it's more than just, you know, like, what's the point? What's the purpose? Mm. What's the function? How does it relate to the rest of it? Well, I mean, we would ask that question about like, I mean, ideally, we're asking that about every scene all the way through either. Like, not just like, hey, I like the scene. It's cool, uh, fun and games. But like, is it developing the character? Is it developing the plot? Is it introducing more conflict? There's a way, and especially in the way, I mean, stories are written these days and consumers are like kind of like consumeristic about it. I mean, everything has to be both pretty and utility as well. Uh, a long time ago, I read this book called The Forever War. And uh, it's, you know, it's this war with some aliens that takes place. And the way, the way that uh, space travel happens, um, like there's, you you lose time. And so the story follows this one soldier who ends up like living like a thousand years just because he's been space traveling in the right increments. Anyway, and so the the bulk of the story takes him right up to the point where his story is how do you describe it so there's like all of the conflicts the character plots and everything and the, the story drops off right when things are like about to be finished like he's just figured out oh this person this one person might actually still be alive and here's the planet i need to go to to, to find them and then and that's where the story ends so so you don't actually see him go through like reunification reconciliation like all, all of that resolution stuff um but then like, like there's this epilogue that's like like a, a paragraph that is like it's like just like new, this newspaper clipping from like a couple years later and this is kind of like embedded in there you kind of see oh okay everybody made it uh and and so 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 in that sense that felt like a really necessary one because there there seems to be this style of ending a story where there's this like open-endedness to it or this incomplete resolution. And part of me likes that because there's something true to life about that. Uh, but then having just like a little bit, but, but I think we, we need a little bit of closure as, as humans to, to, to be able to move on. Well, that, that whole, um, there's this years and years ago. Oh, how old am I? Probably 20 years ago or more. I read a collection of George McDonald short stories, like fairy tales. Yeah. Um, so, you know, George McDonald is credited as being, I think he was one of C.S. Lewis's inspirations. I believe so. And so, you know, I love 
his, they're very simple tales, very, you know, I can't remember the story. I don't, but the, there, there's, it was about, a, I want to say it was a little girl. It could have been a little boy, but it doesn't matter. Anyway, there was a child and the entire point of this story was they had a, a task that they were trying to complete. Well, but every time, every, around every corner, you know, there's a new co- uh, challenge or whatever, you know, very, very fairy tale esque kind of, kind of thing. Um, but the child doesn't actually complete the task in the story. But the last line is something like, and I'm sure by now they've, they've taken care of that. They've done it. <laughs> and when yeah. I read that, I loved it. Like it made me so happy because you think this this little story is all about is it's plot driven based on this one task but by the end that task isn't completed and we're still okay with it or i was now i could see where some people would read that and feel like they were ripped off you know if they i've invested in this entire story and, and it's different with a short story but with a novel mm-hmm. you know that would to- totally be one of those things where People could get angry. In fact, mm-hmm. and I, and I know we're not here to talk about my series, but the first the first two books used to be one book, and and so when I was editing, my editor told me to split it into two books. So really, they have to be read together to get the whole story. Well, one of the things that I got a fair amount of feedback from reviewers on with the first book is they were there were about half and half really annoyed because i didn't answer their questions and um they were like there are you know so many questions left unanswered and and almost to a, a one they all were like i'm sure most of these questions will be answered in book 2 what they don't know is that i'm going to introduce new questions in book 2 that won't be answered until books 4 5 6 and 7 and because that's the way i tell stories but still there is something fascinating to me about this, the resolution not being a resolution, in mm-hmm. a sense. Mm-hmm. So that's fascinating. That is super fascinating. But that, that sort of technique, I mean, I had a writing coach uh, that was telling me to do just that uh, on, on a chapter level where, you know, you, you know, introduce a conflict and you have the character both solve that conflict, but also run into a new one, like right at the same time. So, so the reader is getting answers, but also... It's the story's not done because new stuff is coming up, and uh, and I don't I I think that works. I mean, I think like we've talked about wanting to read to wanting to write to an active reader who will follow things, and I mean we do this with shows. I mean we do this for you know five, six, ten seasons of a show where there's these threads that go on for years, and we just hold them in the back of our heads, and we see them developed and developed and developed until until at last they they come to fruition. And, and that can be really, really satisfying. Yeah, there's this thing, and, and it's very clear watching TV because of how quickly and easily you can consume uh, a television program versus a book where you may have to wait for a couple of years for the next installment to come out. But I can remember years ago, I started watching the TV show How to Get Away with Murder um, because it seemed like a... I, I was just intrigued. There was, you know, anyway, that, that show was addictive to watch because it every episode had a cliffhanger ending. So I actually learned when I was binging this on Netflix to watch the first 10 or 15 minutes of the next episode and turn it off. Yeah. So that I could go to sleep. 
Because right. otherwise, I would get caught up in whatever the new challenge was, the new big mystery. Um, and and as much as I enjoyed watching that show and shows like that, which a lot of shows do that kind of thing, where they end with a question, they end with a cliffhanger, each each episode or each chapter, I don't necessarily want to write that way because it feels a little bit gimmicky. It, it mm-hmm. feels like, uh, you know, I'm teasing you. And so there's a balance between those two things and another pet peeve of mine. When it's, and it's, again, it's far more um, easy for me to see when I'm watching either a television series or um, a series of movies, sequels is where we get deeper into the story and the writers introduce a new concept that they clearly did not know was there when they wrote the first season or the first book or the first movie, if that makes sense. Like th- this, they were just focused on that opening confrontation and, and its resolution. And so later they introduced new concepts that if they had been aware of that, they would have written the beginning of the story differently. Does that make sense? That makes sense, yeah. So that is that drives me crazy because you know I made videos for so long professionally. I don't, I can't watch a movie without pe- figuring out where the lighting is or where the camera is or the camera movement. I'm really focused on the mechanics behind it. It's the same with writing, whether it's TV, movies, or books. Like I, I can't help but pick it apart because I'm, I'm a writer, and it's so frustrating. So I'm probably on the far opposite end of the spectrum where wherein i know things at the beginning that will be important at the end which is again like six or seven books down the road and my editor and my beta readers are like why are you mentioning this here Mm -hmm. and and there is a there is a tricky balance because if i introduce a concept in the first book but i don't really have a payoff on that until books three or four Mm -hmm. i do risk exhausting my readers mm-hmm. on the other hand if i wait to introduce those concepts too late then it'll feel like plug this in so yeah. i think that that's where we can i mean if you have again though i mean if you have like a really if you have a character that the person can connect with or just like uh some some other plot themes or even thinking about this idea of like when when is it when is the time for an ending or when when do you need an epilogue or a last chapter? Maybe some of that comes back to uh, like what it what it, what is the conflict uh, or when 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 the question when the initial question has been answered or when the initial conflict has been has, has been solved or something to to some degree or or as in the case of a tragedy you know fail that um, but 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 when that but when that is known that it's um, that that has failed then then there's an ending and so. If there's something that a person can follow and, and be sure of, then having some of these extras, you know, you gain trust with the reader and they get a sense for, okay, this this writer knows this world, knows what to do. They're, they're giving me answers. They're giving me uh, enough breadcrumbs to follow and I'm in, and it's sweet bread. So I, I, can, I can go with it. Yeah. I actually sent a rough draft of this new introduction to my third book to my, my German beta reader. And... She read it last night and she responded this morning and said she loved it. The one concern that she had was, is this just an afterglow kind of warm and fuzzy or not? It's not warm and fuzzy, but an afterglow kind of, you know, tie back to the first two books in the series. Or does it have more significance later in the series? And what I wanted to say is, do you not trust me yet? Like, 
<laughs> do you not trust me as a writer yes every word of this means something beyond just this book in fact most mm-hmm. of the words in this prologue basically is what it is mm-hmm. matter more to the books that come after the third book than yeah. they do to the third book yeah mm-hmm. but again there's the challenge like i've i've dropped all these teasers in the in the opening to this third book and then I'm going to ask my readers to wait until the fourth book to get back to a lot of those concepts. The reason I added this is because I felt like I was I, I ventured too far away from what, what had happened in the first two books for my readers to you know be like, wait, where is this character? Mm-hmm. And so it's anyway, it's All I right. can't it's I, I need to stop talking about my students right now. I know, it's okay. Um yeah, we could say some things about Boy's Life. So so speaking of how so how Boy's Life ended, so so yes, I think that in this case, if we had not discovered who the murderer was, that would have been very disappointing because that was so crucial in how in introducing the story. So uh so solving that mystery I thought was very satisfying. Having this really high intensity, really, really life threatening chase scene at the end, I thought very, very satisfying. And it, it was it was neat because it's um I, I I felt a similar way about um it was in the last section, I think, where they had this like OK Corral style gunfight between the Playlock brothers and everything. Uh, and it felt in the context of the town and like the small town stories, it felt a little out of the ordinary, but also like like the build up just kind of like logically went there. And so, and I mean, oh my goodness, we have a river monster that we actually only saw the one time. I mean, learning to trust the writer. So McCammon has already set up here's this small town that's mostly, you know, quaint little, you know, Easter suits and potlucks on Sundays. And every now and then you have a river monster and a demon dinosaur and a gunfight. Uh, and oh yeah, there's Nazis in town also. So, right. <laughs> right. just all yeah. of this stuff all together yeah but you know also if you think about all of these elements the river monster this like old this western style shootout the dinosaur even the nazi being in town all of those are the kinds of things that you would expect a boy Cor- Corey's age to watch in these you know movie serials on a saturday in the movie theater like they're all those kinds of, you know, they're they're the type of things that a boy would find entertaining during that period of time, whether in a comic or a movie or, or whatever. Um, and and I think that that's probably I'm I'm guessing, but I'm I'm guessing that's probably one of the reasons why the book is broken down into four chunks within that fifth chunk at the end. That each of those four chapters or four sections kind of have their own beginning middle and end you know where the river monster kind of only exists in that first section um and then i think it's the second section or the third section i'll get confused now the dinosaur thing there's there's these like each individual chunk is kind of its own little thing but the one thread the one story that we have besides Corey's development that we have throughout all four that we need an answer for is who murdered this guy in Saxon's Lake? Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I feel like it was so satisfying when we finally get to find out who that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very much there. This there's movements. There's there's a symphonic nature to it, uh, which is really beautiful. So yes, 
who who killed the who killed the guy and parallel to that and we've talked a little bit about how like is this a story about Corey or is this really a story about Corey's dad seen through Corey's eyes uh i really really loved how how the story ended and Corey's dad which i mean f- forgive me if i completely missed it but do, do we ever get his name or is it just, he's just always dad he's mr mackinson oh he's uh-huh. tom i think yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. But it's, it's, uh, I mean, that's an interesting concept. It's peripheral because yeah. it's not about the, the, it's, it's cool. It's from Corey's perspective. Like, yeah. So he's, yeah. And he's, he's just he's, dad to him. Yeah. He's Corey's dad before he's Mr. Mackinson. Yeah. There's a way he's, yeah, he's, he's written kind of as this peripheral character or he's a little bit on Corey's periphery a lot of the time, but but everything in Corey's life kind of happens in relation to his dad and is always coming back to his dad and what's going on with his dad. And he's worried about his dad and is his dad going to spiral? Is he going to be depressed? Is he going to commit suicide? Is he going to just be obsessive and obsessive? And, and then, and again, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm coming to this story being closer in life stage to Mr. Mackinson than, than to Corey by, you know, by far. I mean, my kids are younger, but, but, you know, very much, having a lot of resonance for, for this thing of like, Hey, like my job is certain. How am I going to provide for my family? Or I'm carrying these burdens and these memories because I was just seeing these horrible things and like, what am I going to do with them? And, and, and I think also, you know, in, in my, in my day job, getting to watch people do their inner work and their inner growth and their healing. And I, I, I mean, I see how much work that is. So seeing, uh, you know, so seeing Corey's dad finally, open up to to help to to go to see the lady i mean on a on an interracial level that's just like this really beautiful moment this this white guy going to this black woman to say okay help me out what what are we going to do here and and then to see her just be, be really gracious and really welcoming and really like you know yahan will will take care of this it's really really sweet moment and seeing him finally let himself have a problem finally let himself be be weak and vulnerable and need help it's a really it's a really necessary thing. It's uh it's one of those quiet, quietly heroic moments that gets missed. So there's like one of the one of the Peter Pan movies kind of brings us out a little bit over Mr. Dr- the Mr. Darling character, where he's like, you know, not magical anymore. And so like the kids are kind of like, eh, dad, he's not magical, he's not imaginative, he just like goes to his bank job every day. But like the mom kind of sticks up for him. She's like, you know, there's a different kind of heroism that like gets dressed up in a suit and goes to work every day without complaining. And like, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit more boring, but I mean, there's, there's something soured about that. And then, uh, yeah. And then just like, so, so you get, uh, Corey's dad gets this fun range of being this very quiet, very just humble. I'm going through my inner growth, my inner healing, laboring in these unseen inner depths to find some peace and some confidence within myself uh, and then you get this like super high action, like, and I'm like speeding through town, like chasing after my son and I'm jumping into this icy river to like pull him out of a sinking car. And, uh, you know, super like, ah, tear jerker moments. It was, it was a good ending. I'm like, I'm reading that as a dad. I'm like, yeah, I'm like right there. Uh, that'd be extremely terrifying. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Um, cause I suggested the book, so I'm glad, yeah. <laughs> glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> Uh, it's, a, it's a commitment like it's it's not a it's not a quick read but i love it so much yeah yeah it's a it's a long one 
I, I think though, I mean, once I, once I got into it and started catching a rhythm for it, like there, it, the, the, the pace picked up. It was, it was a, an easier read than I, than I thought it might, might be. Um, there are any other, other like particular like themes or moments or plot points from here that. No, um, not that I can think of right now, but I, I will tell you, um, if you pick another Robert McCammon novel to read, Boy's Life is kind of, I mean, he, there, he, there's a, I, I think there's a trilogy. They're not really a trilogy, but they often get clumped together. There's another one down South or going South, something like that, which is about a, a young woman, I think doing her thing. And then there's another one that I actually liked better, but then there's like speaks the night bird, I think is one of his, which is mm. just straight up, you know, fantasy not modern at all so it's interesting you know different books that he's written um if you're into different flavor i i would definitely suggest speaks that i've heard and there's a couple others that i've read that i really loved but i can't think of what they are now i probably should have looked that up before i started talking about them that's good if you think about them you could let me know i'll put them in the liner notes and people can find them because that'd be really good yeah, I was appreciating the way he kind of interacts with like death over, I mean, over the whole, the whole story. And here in this last section, especially uh, talk, talking about talking through grief and like you kind of see Corey's dad has been kind of grieving this whole whole book, like loss of the, the man in Saxon's Lake, loss of innocence in a sense. Uh, you get to see Corey in a very acute level grieving the loss of his friends. And yeah, the... It's good to see. It's good to see those things tackled and talked about, and it's really lovely to see. Here's this. Here's this whole town kind of working through this a little bit. Well, maybe not quite the whole town, but they're all they're all affected. It's hard. I know. I, I feel like I really empathize with the with the character with with his dad, especially who is just like alone in this a lot. And then Corey also, when he is grieving Davy Ray's death, ends up ends up really alone, but. You know, and then kind of with it, what they discover, which I think is a real true truth that we need to consider is, uh, you know, the importance of like connection and community. And so we could say those are some other main themes that come out here is here's a small town. We do things together. We live together. We're kind of bound by our traditions. It felt like like small T traditions were a really major theme in just like how the world was built. And we might look at those as like kind of quaint, kind of silly, goofy. Oh, that's just like the, you know, this, you know, Midwest, Southwest sort of goofy goofy tradition but uh but it's these traditions it's these rituals that bind the community together i mean even i mean we we poke fun at like the like the church scenes in here uh a lot and and everything but there but there's a way though like i mean mccommon's mccammon's portrayal of like the christian theology is like not like like the best version of theology and like not not at all like the theology to emulate but but even still though like it's one of the traditions, same as like the the flying the flying boys after school. This this community they they do things together, and they they've done, they've always done things together. And they in the end, uh, I mean, they they gossip and have drama and and stuff, but in the end, they they stick together. And in that togetherness, is where they find their strength. It's a nice it's a nice place. I might, might is that for a real town? I don't think so. Um, I'm not that familiar with Alabama. <laughs> Certainly not a small town like Zephyr, but um, that is something that be. I just always assumed it was fictional. 
Okay. I bet it's based on a real location, though. Probably. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's enough small towns like this. I mean, one could compile a small town like this. Okay. So fun fun trivia for the reader to like, is, is Zephyr a real place? Can you actually go there? <laughs> but yeah, no, that's, that's great. I, I appreciate it. I've appreciated uh, the story and the, uh, like we've talked about, kind of the, I appreciate the sun coming through my window right in my eyes too. <laughs> yeah. No, I appreciate the, um, departure from some of my normal reading styles uh that's not super high action it's not super highly intellectual it gets to be just a lot of like emotive just being with people and there is something really refreshing about that yeah yeah i can understand that too i think we will conclude that there we have come to the end of a long a long book but a good one and i'm sure we'll come back to you others too ericshanelove.com for Scarecrow Hunters and not the Singing Bones, but the other one. <laughs> yeah, agree, Shadow. In fact, if you go to my website, um, I am literally giving the first book away to anyone who signs up for my newsletter. So if you go to ericshamelove.com, sign up for my newsletter, I will send you a free ebook. No strings attached. You can unsubscribe if you want. Uh, obviously, that's not the point. The goal is to build an email list. But like, yeah, so anyone who's interested, Go sign up, and I'll send you an ebook. I'm excited for that, and excited for the audiobook as well, and uh, excited for next occasion when I can get you back on the podcast to yes, talk about books or writing or some other thing. Yeah, that would be very fun. Cool. All right. Well, peace to y'all, and we'll talk again soon. Yes, sir. podcast by Moses Bernabe. If you like what you hear, consider supporting the show with dollars, reviews, or shares, or all of the above. Word and Journey can be found on most major podcast platforms and on my author Patreon at patreon.com slash Moses Bernabe. Moses Bernabe can be found at MosesBernabe.com. Contact info for my most excellent co-hosts can be found in the liner notes. The podcast logo was designed by TJ Todd with additional development by Moses Bernabe. The theme music is by Aaron Esparza. This episode was mastered by Breakfast Puppies. Thanks for listening and see you next time.